Let's get Boots on the ground update on the injury report from our guy Patrick Nosey Walker, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from DallasCowboys.com on today's Scientific Method. What's good, Pat? Hey, what's good, my brother? Hey, man, I'm just so fired up after watching yesterday's game that, you know, week one is finally here, bro. It's finally here. But I thought it was funny that uh, Kadarius Tony pretty much was costing that game. But that's neither here nor there. What's up with you? Oh, no, no, no. It's both here and there. Uh, (laughs) Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. uh, Last I checked, um, and and let's just be clear, Patrick Mahomes is in his own stratosphere as far as quarterback. Uh, in the NFL, he's that there is no one on his planet. But it is also true <laughs> that um, receivers have to catch the ball. So it really doesn't matter how elite the quarterback is if the receivers are not catching the ball, as we saw in Kansas City uh, last night. And then, of course, you know, people are like, well, Kelsey wasn't there. That's fair. Kelsey was not there. Mahomes' top weapon was not there. But then it's also fair to ask the question, are the receivers not being paid? Were those receivers not chosen uh, to be in those positions by Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, which means the Chiefs believed that those receivers could get the job done, and they did not. But then you harken back, for example, the, the pick six that was a great pass by Mahomes, hit the receiver in the, uh, in the hand, tip drill, interception, pick six. Reminded everyone of Noah Brown. Everyone got re-triggered. Jacksonville Jaguars, overtime. But then why is there any difference between that Jacksonville Jaguars game last year when that got blamed for the loss? Oh, he threw the the game-sealing interception. Well, there's no difference. At the end of the day, the quarterback can be Patrick Mahomes or it could be Moses in some special sandals. It doesn't (laughs) matter. If the receivers aren't catching the ball, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter who's throwing it. So I say all of that to say, Cowboys have now upgraded their receiving core massively over what it looked like last year. Brandon Cook's obviously in the mix now. Michael Gallup looks like he's ready for a bounce back. CeeDee Lamb, uh, I mean, what else is there to say about CeeDee Lamb? That that guy is absolutely ready. He is him. So going forward, you know, we're looking looking good in in the aspect of the Cowboys offense. And now they're going to, you know, get a test, their first test up against a defensive line in New York that – as as it goes in the NFC East, um, the defensive fronts are going to be monstrous. Yeah. No. So is it the same? Is it the equivalent of the Commanders or the Eagles? No, but it's still quite stout when you start talking about Dexter Lawrence and these Ojulari, Leonard mm-hmm. Williams, and those guys. Yeah, we're going into Week One a lot healthier from the receiver standpoint than we were last year. You, you can basically say that Pat was rolling out Dennis Houston, uh, James Washington. You know, Jalen Tober, South Alabama, mm-hmm. not sure what's going on. That's basically kind of what he had in week one. And last year, that's what Dak and this offense had. But not the case this year, man. Uh, so the receiver core is is healthy. And that's, that's great going into week one. However, the offensive line is the question. And I want to kind of get a boots on the ground injury update on this list, if you don't mind, Pat. What What's kind of your take on what's going on with Tyler Smith and Tyron Smith heading into week one? Well, first of all, that was a magnificent segue. So my my guy is fantastic at what he does, ladies and gentlemen. Um, So when you're looking at the offensive line for the Cowboys, obviously you see Tyron Smith appear on the injury report yesterday and panic starts to ensue. And I get it. There's some PTSD, and I guess the T at this point stands for Tyron, right? (laughs) But um, I I was told, well, first of all, officially he was listed as limited 
uh, in yesterday's practice with an ankle issue. I was told that he rolled his ankle at some point in practice uh, and exited, but I was also told that he was not helped off the field by, by trainers. He did not leave the field with a trainer. It was just Tyron Smith. He rolled his ankle, and then, you know, he looked at the coaches and said, hey, I think, you know, I just rolled my ankle. Let me go and put some ice on this, and that was kind of the extent of it. So as it stands, it is deemed a minor injury. It's not something barring some wild change between now and Sunday evening. There is no concern that Tyron Smith is going to miss this game against the Giants, no concern that the injury is major. And the same goes for Tyler Smith. There is no, in, there's no concern that his injury, his hamstring strain, is major at all. It's being described to me as minor. Mike McCarthy said yesterday that Tyler told him that he, quote-unquote, feels great. Um, but the Cowboys did choose to hold him out on Thursday, which I'm completely fine with because I'm on record as saying earlier this week I would not let Tyler Smith uh, practice this week after that hamstring strain. I would just give him the walkthrough on Saturday and then let him play on Sunday. Mike McCarthy yesterday basically intimated that is, in fact, the plan, so a little affirmation there for me. Uh, basically said that as long as Tyler Smith participates in the walkthrough on Saturday, he'll likely play on Sunday, barring a setback in pregame warm-up. So uh, left side of the offensive line, there are concerns there, but not nearly the level of concern that uh, that everyone um, in the Twitter sphere is subscribing yeah, to. I'm not going to lie, Pat. It, it, it was definitely – I'm not hitting the panic button, but I'm looking at it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm looking at it because when you – no, that's fair. Yeah, whenever you hear Tyra Smith is, 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 is on the injury report and then a hamstring for your young stud at left guard, I'm looking at that panic button, but I'm not panicking quite yet. And, and hearing that, not just from you, but from McCarthy, that these things are minor – and it looks like they're trending to play, uh, makes me feel a little bit better about, yeah. about Sunday. Yeah, they're, they're both absolutely trending to play. And like I said, the only thing that will prevent either um, from playing, I would at this point, even with the rolled ankle uh, on Tyron Smith, I would be absolutely stunned if he was not on that field. Tyler Smith, uh, I'd be shocked but not floored um, because, like I said, he still has he hasn't practiced this week. He has to go through Saturday walkthrough. We're not there yet. And then if Saturday walkthrough goes well, he has another check to go through, which will be pregame workout. Uh, and then they'll check on him after pregame workout. How's that hamstring feel? Is it sore? Is it tight? Um, and then they'll make the determination there. So, yes, there's a great chance that Tyler Smith plays, but there's also a, a small chance that he doesn't. So that's the reality. That's why I say it's fair to have some concern there. Tyron Smith I'm much less concerned with. I, I'm just being told it's not that big a deal. Okay. That, that's the actual quote I was told. So hopefully that holds steady. But – my concern would be if Tyler isn't able to play, here's the OL depth issue. I mean, like, where are we with this? Because it, it sounds as if, and my belief and expectation is that they would run Chuma Adoga out there first at left guard if Tyler Smith can't go. Mm. That's concerning for me because Adoga did not have a great camp, and that was before he hyperextended his knee and missed the back end of camp. And now here he is being tossed in, but – He's the veteran, so they're going to give the veteran the first crack. That's not to say he you know, he has the body, he has the, the strength to kind of play better at left guard than he would as a swing tackle. But contextually speaking, I don't know that he would provide enough against that offense, that defensive line for the Giants. And, yeah, you have Hoffman and you have Bass, and Bass is an absolute gamer, but those two guys are very young, and Bass particularly, he's very green. So, I mean, you could throw him in the fire, which I would be fine with because what's the difference between he and Adoga? I think skill set-wise he's better than Adoga, but football IQ-wise, this is a rookie coming into the league. Against Wink. Versus Adoga. 
Yeah, exactly. Against Wink Martindale versus Edoga, at least having the, the veteran savvy to know, you know, what tendencies are. So however you slice it, though, let's just pray Tyler Smith is on the field. Yeah, Qu- quickly on the other side of the ball, though, Sam Williams, Donovan Wilson. We, we got some good news on Sam with the, the, the limited mm-hmm. upgrade. So that, that kind of got me excited a bit here because I want all hands on deck against the Giants. Uh, but Donovan Wilson, he didn't participate, but obviously it was for family reasons. But are you being told anything about uh, his health reasons uh, in regards to week one? I think Donovan Wilson, the, uh, a key day for Donald would have been on yesterday. Um, but, of course, he missed for that fantastic reason, the latest Cowboy to welcome a newborn into the family, the third since July. Um, I guess something is in the water. Uh, you know, hey, drink up, I suppose. Um, but – he, there's no practice today. Um, there's the walkthrough tomorrow, so let's just put him on the same plan as Tyler Smith with the understanding that um, Donovan has been rehabbing his since the first week in training camp. He's long been out of the boot. So the expectation is that he has a fantastic chance of taking the field uh, as long as there's no setbacks between now and then. He had a great workout uh, on last Friday, said Mike McCarthy. So he's training toward playing. Hopefully that remains the case. Sam Williams did not participate on Wednesday, but as you noted, uh, he was upgraded to limited on yesterday, so he did do some work. Uh, even though McCarthy didn't anticipate that he would, said that he viewed the rehab group he was initially, but then he got out there and did this little bit of work with that turf toe. Very promising sign uh, because I was pessimistic about Sam Williams Same. being able to take the field. Yeah, so he's uh, at the moment, he's thankfully proving us both wrong with that pessimism, and hopefully he takes the field on Sunday because, like you said, we want all hands on deck going after Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, and trying to shorten those passing windows for guys like Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller. Let's stay on that side of the ball, man, because uh, – and by the way, we got Patrick Nosey Walker, DallasCowboys.com, ladies and gentlemen, dropping his science. Y- your latest science lab piece to me was uh, Isaac Newton level good, man. I mean, this was this was fantastic. Oh, man, I appreciate and, it, bro. And if this is the, the first one that we're going to get, I guess 70 – hopefully 20, 20 or 21 of these – if we're going to get go. 20 or 21 of these, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. But there was a part in that science lab piece that kind of leads me into our next you know, phase here, which is with the watch for Sunday night. There was a number. There were two numbers. You, you talked about 62 and 27. Can you elaborate mm-hmm. to, to the viewers a bit here on the significance of those numbers and what they mean for week one? Absolutely. If you look at the trends and you, and you follow Daniel Jones's uh, career, uh, and if you let's go forward because I don't want to use, use the full macro because Brian Dable was not there for the full macro. So more accurately, let's shrink it to 2022 when Brian Dable took over. So in the Brian Dable era, Daniel Jones uh, does not win games on his own, and that that number 62 proves it because he's lost every game except one last year. So he was one in five, I believe, one in five or one in six when his completion percentage is at 62% or less. Now, here's where that correlates. It correlates with Saquon Barkley because in the games that Saquon Barkley, um, in those wins for the New York Giants, and all of those wins, you tally up all of those wins, Saquon Barkley averaged just under 105 rushing yards per game. In those wins, with Saquon Barkley averaging over almost 105 rushing yards per game, you look at Daniel Jones and his completion percentage was higher than 62%, often in the low 70s or upper 60s. Mm-hmm. But when Saquon Barkley and those losses, when he's shut down and he's averaging only 35, you know, 40 yards a game on the ground, 
that game gets pushed onto the arm of Daniel Jones, but in those games, his completion percentage drops almost 10 points. And when it drops to that 62 mark, it's almost always a loss. It's, it was a loss every single time except for one last year. And when the Cowboys played and defeated the Giants at both of those games, Daniel Jones was in the upper 50s and the lower 60s at both of those games, respectively, and the Cowboys walked away with the win. And that that's the 62 mark. Now, 27, 27 is a lot less complex. It's basically points per game. And those losses, for every one of those losses for the Giants, including um, the playoff loss as well, they're averaging 27 points allowed per game. And that's a marker. That's a hard line because when they allow fewer than 27 points, they won almost every one of those games. But once they hit that 27-point marker and higher, they lost every single one of those games. So 62 and 27, those are some magic numbers that just kind of stood out to me when I was doing my research and homework on the Daniel Jones, Brian Dayball era last year. And, of course, yes, they got Jalen Hyatt um, and they got Darren Waller. But the reason I'm not so concerned with those guys is one is a rookie and he's going to have to go against one of the best secondaries, arguably mm-hmm. the best uh, cornerback group in the league. And Darren Waller has to go up against J. Ron Curson and the best safety, arguably the best safety rotation in the league. So I think those two guys can be negated. So formula goes as follows still. I know I'm running a little long here. We, no, just, we, we talk about football. We got time, man. We got a little, today we got a little bit yeah, more here time we go. than normal, we go. so I'm good, man. Drop here we that go. Science. Birdman hand rub. Come on, baby. Birdman hand rub. That, that 27. So what you want to do is. Go ahead. No, I was going to say what you want to do is you shut down Saquon Barkley, which it's shown that it can be done. Uh, and then you force the game onto Daniel Jones. Now, that's the formula that Dan Quinn has executed uh, in the three times he's faced uh, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is 0-3 against Dan Quinn. And once you force the game onto Daniel Jones, it's just a matter of pressing his receivers, disrupting their routes, and making sure that his completion percentage is not above 62%. If you can do that, your, your chances of winning go up exponentially. Now, even better, or I should say better still, if the Cowboys offense, we talked about the receiving mm-hmm. core, the new-look receiving core with, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, Texas Coast offense, Tony Pollard, it's his show, Deuce Vaughn, mix him in, let's get funky. You do that, if you can score 27 points, then it goes up exponentially more, which makes it nearly impossible for the Giants, who typically don't have the offense to come back, and they also don't have the quarterback who is capable of leading the team from a big deficit. 62 and 27. You give me one or both of those numbers, I give you a 1 and 0 Cowboy start to this. Yeah, let's stay there real quick on, on the 27 because you, you made some fantastic points uh, on the break about these rookies that the Giants are going to be rolling out there. I, I give all, all respect to Wink, actually, one of my favorite DCs because I, I just like Madman and, and he's a madman. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's just nuts, man. But he puts so much stress. On his his secondary, it's it's very similar to Vic Fangio, but Vic Fangio requires the secondary to be a bit more heady, where I think Wink requires them to just be a super athletic. But at the end of the day, no matter how athletic you are, if you're a rookie, as you said, from Old Dominion in, in Maryland, and you're about to roll up against an eight year vet in Dak, and you're about to roll up against Brandon Cooks, who is an extremely underrated receiver, and C.D. Lamb, who's trying to get the bag, you got a, you got a tall task, man. And I, and I know, for me, that is one of the things I'm watching for, but, and you mentioned this on a break, can you go into detail a little bit more on, on this receivers versus these rookies? Yeah, I mean, take these rookies out back, and, and just 
you know, beat them like a dirty rug if you can. And and as I said on the break, this isn't to say, you know, uh, Hawkins and Banks are not talented or don't have skill set that can hold up in the NFL. I believe they both do, but this is going to be their NFL debut. This is a, a sixth-round pick and a first-round pick, respectively, like you said. Old Dominion, Maryland, no disrespect to those schools, but they're not Power 5 schools. And I hearken back to the struggles Jalen Tober had on the receiving end of the ball last year. Uh, this is two rookies who are coming in from mid-sized to smaller schools, and are the lights too bright or going to be too bright for them? Is the stage going to be too big? I mean, they're walking into Sunday night football, and when they line up, they're going to be looking into the eyes of CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Dak Prescott, Michael Gallup. I mean, and then we're not even mentioning the tight end core just yet as far as, like, what Jake Ferguson is showing that as far as he's ready to step in and Schoolmaker will get there, Peyton Hendershot. But I want you to look at Hawkins. If you're, if you're Mike McCarthy, if you're Dak Prescott, I want you to do to those two rookies what Aaron Rodgers did to Kelvin Joseph last year. I want you to do those two rookies what Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence did to Kelvin Joseph and Deshaun Wright last year. This is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Attack them early, attack them often, attack them the entirety of the game because you have to figure out how, how good can they be or not be, and hopefully you get a big play on one or both of them early and then you hope to see them start to shrink mentally, and then that one play begin, you know, begins another big play. It gets another big play. I really just want you to turn the screws. And I believe that those guys, they'll make a PBU here and there, but you're not going to convince me, objectively speaking, you're not going to convince me that uh, Hawkins and Banks are going to line up against CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and, and Brandon Cooks and an eight-year veteran in Dak Prescott who's not too many seasons removed from almost a 5,000-yard season with almost 40 touchdowns. You're not going to convince me that they're ready for that showdown, that matchup with the brightest of lights on Sunday night football. So if they can, prove it. Prove it. Yeah. I don't think they can, though. I think they'll be fine. They'll find their midseason form at some point, but I don't think they find it in week one, and I think that you really got to exploit that. That's just a glaring matchup for me. So don't. This is one of those games where it's like don't don't use the run to set up the pass. Use the pass to set up the run. Eat, eat those young cornerbacks. Eat them, and that's going to force a longer day for the safeties of the Giants. I mean, just torture them. That will also help neutralize the defensive line that we're talking about. The yep. blueprint is right. Using the pass to set up the run is is a, is a Mike McCarthy staple in regards to the West Coast offense. We got Patrick Nosey Walker DallasCowboys.com here, y'all. Make sure y'all uh, drop in here. We're going to do a hashtag ask pat segment today so go ahead and drop your hashtag ask pat questions and we'll get to them at the end of the segment but i don't know how much you can gather from this pat so i'm just going to throw it out here anyway you mentioned mike mccarthy or i mentioned mike mccarthy you mentioned using the pass to set up the run does there seem to be a different energy from big mike you know now that he's dialing it up and and, and has total control of this offense from then from years past Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's walking with quite the level of confidence and swagger, and, and honestly, he's having fun. And that's very promising because the keys are back in his hand and both hands are on the wheel offensively. And he's, uh, from minute one, you know, as far as the parting of ways with Kenneth Moore, Mike McCarthy has just been walking, moving a little bit differently this offseason. Um, and then what I'd really love to see, is the level of inclusion that Dak Prescott has in coordinating the offense. Obviously, it was. I know some people felt like it was kind of 
uh, before the game against the Raiders, they felt like, oh, it was kind of gimmicky and, you know, with Dak, Dak Prescott calling plays. But, no, and I said this going into that game, I said this is for a reason. They want Dak Prescott to be so comfortable with the playbook that he could call the plays himself. And then when you combine a quarterback that has that level of football IQ, that ability to read defenses with a Super Bowl-winning uh, head coach and play caller and then mix in some of the tweaks they're making to as far as revamping the analytics team with guys like John Park and some of these other – John Parks and some of these other hires, uh, this is – this feels different. Like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say this feels very different. The, the vibration in the air going into this season feels quite different than it has – uh, dare I say, since the midnight? Okay, I'm not going to finish that statement, <laughs> but it just feels different. Um, no, so I'm hopefully you, man. That, that all comes to fruition. Hopefully that all comes to fruition. I mean, they got the weapons. They got the experience uh, as far as play callers and the quarterback are concerned. Uh, as long as their health holds up, uh, and I'm not as much worried about rust either. I know some people are. They're like, whoa, you got a new, a new offense and starters haven't played in preseason. Should we expect rust? No, number one, it's not a new offense because much of the Kellen Moore playbook is what they're running. They made some tweaks, but the language is still the same. A lot of the, the play sections are still the same. Um, but look at the defense that the Cowboys went up against in the preseason practices uh, and the training camp practices. I mean, if we're going to sit here and say this is a top three, possibly a top two, with the potential to be a top one defense in the league, show me one of those preseason games wherein they would have gone up against a defense that matched that or was even close, and they would not have. That's the answer, which means why risking the injury. So going up against this Giants defense, yeah, it's a, it's a dominant front, nothing that the Cowboys offense hasn't seen every single day in practice this summer, but the secondary is not even remotely equivalent. You know, one is on Mercury and, and one is on Pluto, and I still – shout out to Pluto, you're still a planet to me, champ. But uh, two completely <laughs> different things. So the Cowboys offense should be able to exploit that secondary in a major way. All right, we got we got a number of hashtag ass packs coming through here. So uh, let me get to a few. Uh, Sully asked, uh, "Will Pollard have the same effect as he did last year, being being a change of pace back, since he doesn't have that Zeke type of uh, guy there anymore? Will he have the same effect?" Uh, it won't. He'll be. A, uh, it'll make it'll be an impact, but it won't be the same effect. That's what I'm trying to get out. It'll be an impact, but it won't be the same effect. And what I mean by that is, he he's not the change of pace back anymore. Deuce Vaughn is the change of pace back now. Mm-hmm. Rico Dowdle, although he has a similar building skill set to Tony Pollard, uh, I, I'd say Rico Pollard is more of the spell back for Tony Pollard. When Tony taps his helmet, he needs a rest. Here comes Rico. When it's time to change the pace, it's Deuce Vaughn. So Tony Pollard, as the lead back, is going to be asked to do more of the dirty work that Zeke was asked to do. He's going to be asked to run more through the A and B gap than he's done in his football career, but he's shown the ability to do that. If you go back and watch his film, he can do that. Um, in pass pro, when he first came into the league, there was a lot to be desired when it came to pass protection. He's gotten markedly better at pass protection. So the dirty work that you saw Ezekiel Elliott uh, tasked with doing, that's now what Tony Pollard is going to be tasked with doing. So that's what, that's going to be his impact now. He's no longer the change of pace back. Will he still get plays in space wherein he can take advantage of will-be tacklers and use his quickness to his, his advantage? Yes, that still will be schemed into – his, his play set, however, not nearly as much as it was because they they need a guy who's going to run between the tackles, and that now that guy now becomes Tony Pollard. Uh, another one from Don the Orkawell. He says, "Ask Pat, can you help give me the same confidence in Aubrey that this coaching staff has? Brandon Aubrey, the kicker. 
Well, I can't give you that same level of confidence because I don't have it to give. Um, I, I can't sell you what I'm not willing to buy myself, and that's just being fair and that's just being real. So what I will say is my confidence in Aubrey is much higher than it was um, prior to the release of Vizcaino because when Vizcaino was in the building, those two guys, they, you know, com- as, a, <laughs> as a community of kickers, they were bad. Vizcaino gets released, Arby finds another gear. Now, I attribute that to the fact that he had more reps, so he got better, and that's just kind of how it goes. He misses the extra point against the Jags. We all cringe. It's PTSD. It's like, oh, here we go again. But then uh, when he had opportunities thereafter, he made he took advantage of them. The 59-yard boot that he missed, he barely missed it, and it had the distance. What does he do uh, later in that game? Comes back out, makes a 59-yarder. Now, to be honest, I wish he didn't make that 59 yards because I don't want the Cowboys to know he can do that. <laughs> I want them to think I want them to think he can only kick 45 and up. <laughs> that way you have to scheme the offense to stretch the field. That's what I would like to see. But on a scale of 1 to 10, when RB first came into camp and I saw a few of those kicks and then the blue and white practice, my confidence level was 1. And I'm not kidding. It was 1. It was yeah. we got to get a, a veteran in here and we got to get it now. I can confidently say right now that my confidence level with him is at least – uh, a seven. I'll give him a seven, and I will say let's keep that seven with an asterisk because if things start to go awry at any point during the season, you, I will be one of the first ones to say, "Yep, let's uh, let's get a Mason in here. <laughs> what are we doing? Because this can this has the potential to be a special season. Let's not give, um, you know, Aubrey or or anyone who hasn't earned it a longer leash, a longer rope than they deserve." So at the moment, he deserves some rope, good preseason, better camp after Tristan was released. So I'm at a seven right now, which is a good jump from a one. But the Cowboys sound like they're – yeah, they're, they, we, listen, the Cowboys are like at a nine and a half. I'm not there. Oh, no. And even my seven is – even my seven is like – let's say six and a possible. Let's uh, say six, nine? six and a possible. Accusations. These are not accusations. This is false accusation. Not a nod. Yeah, I'm telling you, they're feeling fantastic. And, you know, kudos to them. They want to to believe in their guy. I am not mad at that. I'm simply saying I'm not there. When I get there, I'll let you guys know. Hopefully I get there so I can let you guys know. Right now, though, uh, actually I'm more comfortable. Let's say a strong six, light seven. So six and a possible. All right, let me get let me, I want two two more if I can quickly get two more. The first one should be fast yeah, let's, here. Yeah, let's squeeze into one. Um, ha- hashtag Axe Pat, uh, and I just lost it a bit, but it was basically, oh, Schoolmaker or Hendershot going to be tight in two this season? Mm-hmm. At the onset, well, first, let me, let me qualify by, by saying this real quick. Don't get too hung up on TE2, on that title. Gotcha. Don't get too hung up on that. Because the the way the Cowboys are going to run these tight ends and their you know two tight end sets and sometimes three tight end sets, the number of snaps between Schoonmaker and Hendershot isn't going to be caverns. Like it's not going to be a Grand Canyon between those two guys. Yeah. So let me qualify it that way. But I will say, from the outset, first couple of weeks or so, you'll probably see more Hendershot because this is his second year. He's had two training camps. Uh, and the Cowboys know what they get from him. Schoolmaker is his first training camp. He's missed the majority of it with plantar fasciitis, which means they also have to ramp him up. Um, so that's how I believe it starts. How does it end? If that's how you're asking me, it ends with Schoolmaker and Jake Ferguson being your tight end one, tight end two, 
and whatever variation you want to put it within the shot being tight end three. That's how it ends to me because that's what you use the second-round pick on Schoolmaker to do anyway, yeah. is to come in and, and be that guy to push for the tight end one role um, alongside Jake Ferguson. But for my money, it's the Jake Ferguson show until further notice. Behind him, Schoolmaker and, and Hendershot, they'll fight for reps. And last one from our guy, Brother L. He says, ask Pat, what's a Cowboys defensive player slash Giants offensive player matchup you're looking forward to seeing on Sunday? Cowboys defense player, Giants offense play. Defense, offense, defense, offense. Give me, oh, give me Damone Clark versus Saquon Barkley. Hey. Give me that with a side of fries. Um, I think it, it's really going to be um, – the onus is going to be LVE to set the tone against Saquon Barkley playing sideline to sideline. But um, Damone Clark, obviously, he's a starter alongside LVE, so the onus is going to be on him as well. And, and I will say, based on what I've seen in training camp this year with LVE, I, I know this is going to be your favorite thing still. I know. With LVE getting some reps off of the edge, um, I think that hints at more of the responsibility from sideline to sideline coverage going on Damone Clark. And – uh, I feel like Demone, I'm on record. Demone Clark, to me, is going to have a breakout season for the Cowboys. He looks every bit the part. He looks like LSU Demone. Uh, mentally, he's there. I mean, I talk to him every other day, and the dude is just sharpening his teeth to get out there and start eating. So if Demone Clark can, can be what I know he can be, starting with a huge challenge in trying to keep Saquon Barkley from burning the edge, which then forces him to the inside. So Hankins and, and Mozzie and Chauncey and Neville and those guys can eat, which then, of course, helps the defensive ends and one of the best run defenders in Demarcus Lawrence as a defensive end. That helps those guys eat. But for me, it starts in the middle of the Cowboys' defense with LVE, but in a bigger way, Damone Clark versus Saquon Barkley. I love that one because I, I think in the last matchup in Thanksgiving, you, you saw Damone Clark kind of spread his wings a bit in that game, so definitely keep my eye on that. And he's got the speed. You saw his first game when he was playing against the, uh, the Chicago Bears when he chased down Justin Fields from behind. Lapped everybody. Yeah, so if you're asking – Exactly, and that was his that was his NFL debut after having no training camp. Now this is a different Demone Clark, ladies and gentlemen. So yes, Demone Clark versus Saquon Barkley. I want twelve rounds of that. Yes, please. <laughs> there you have it, y'all. The scientific method with the guy Patrick Nosey Walker, DallasCowboys.com. Appreciate you for joining us this week, brother. And, uh, next week we'll get you back on, and hopefully, hopefully, it's a good scientific method coming off of a victory. Hey, man, fingers crossed, and I believe it will be. Cowboys just need to go out there and handle business. They are, in fact, the better team on paper. They're the better team in reality. And while the Giants are no pushover, I don't believe that the Giants, especially this early in the season, are ready for what the Cowboys can bring. So I got Dallas taking this win. All right, man, that's Patrick No C. Walker. Appreciate you, big dog. Thanks for watching, and make sure to follow and subscribe to A to Z Dallas so you don't miss an episode of The Scientific Method. Every Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Central on Facebook and YouTube with every episode available on A to Z Sports.com.